What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G, everybody. Good evening. What's, uh, what's today? You said it, but I'm asking because, because I never know what day it is. Tuesday, March. You know what? I think I actually forgot to... Did I? I might I have. Know. You, get so, uh, you know, it's such a habit. March 24th, 2020. By the way, Gabriel Appreciation Week. So okay. if you guys have not appreciated the Gabriel in your life, aka <clears throat> yours truly, who's turning uh, another year older on Sunday... Get in a hurry and go do that on social media, yeah, in the comments, great. wherever you feel like saying it to me, I'd appreciate it, especially lately. Which room of your house are you going to celebrate this quarantine birthday in? Oh, you know what? Um, the kitchen is my the front runner. You know what? Maybe the living room. I haven't thought about it. My friend actually gave me a good idea. She told me, why don't you have a virtual birthday? And, you know, said everyone, we could have a theme and we could talk and said, even if all we do is just get down there and wish you a happy birthday. And then uh, that made me smile. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm letting the wheels turn right now. I think that's a good idea. It's a good, like, emotional boost for, no, not that you need one, but for anyone. Like, I heard about that happening for a little girl's birthday party where, like, Fans and family like drove by the house and dropped off uh-huh. gifts and had signs, but you know nobody stayed for the party. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, just having people chime in and saying "What's up, happy birthday," I think that's the right thing to do, man. I think so. And by the way, guys, I don't need to tell you what's going on in the world. We did that last week. I'm sure you've you know have television or some access to you know someone has told you somewhere that we're in the midst of something. We're not here to talk about that. I think you guys get enough of that in your daily life. Natalie, I hope you are well. Guys, if you're listening, I hope you're well. I hope you're finding what you need. If you're feeling stressed, remember we're all in it together and we get through it one day at a time. But Natalie, I've told myself we're going to keep doing this show. I think we've got to go do something. I don't want to rehash and talk about too much of the speculation. I feel like there's just not really a, a long road that way. So, for today's episode, we are not only talking about some old mixed martial arts action, we're going to talk about some more fun stuff, some MMA programming that's out there, some of the more iconic and probably just high-profile appearances by some of our favorite MMA stars over the years. So, we'll be talking all about that, and I'm sure you guys could guess a couple of the ones that we will be talking about. We make so many references on the show, but we are three minutes in. I think you guys are ready to talk about mixed martial arts the way we always do. So, let's go back a couple hundred Saturdays. Well, maybe <laughs> not, we, but you know, close to, close to the triple digits in Saturdays in the history of the world. It was one night in Australia. The entire MMA world was watching, and they all tuned in to see one woman, Rowdy Ronda Rousey, and she was taking on this undefeated challenger, former boxing champion, had only had about two fights in the UFC, and yet nobody will forget, if you watched it live, how everything went down that night. Obviously talking about UFC 193. Rousey, home, uh, doubleheader, some great action that night in Australia. But obviously, when everyone looks back at that night, uh, even if you tuned in for somebody else somehow, all you remembered is the main event. So before we talk about the fight, Natalie, this was the night, you know what, I, I don't know how else to say it. The, the rocket was still ascending. Somehow, it had passed the stratosphere. We were wondering if it was going to reach Mars. That is the kind of star Ronda Rousey was that night. So just put it into context for you as a fan, or just anywhere, however you want to describe it, going into that fight with Holly Holm. Yeah, she was she was it, man. Like, that was... No one had breached the mainstream the way Ronda Rousey had done at that point with these quick 
15 seconds, or 14 seconds, 16 second submissions over Katzengan, Alexis Davis. She beat Sarah McMahon. She, you know, almost got crank, her head cranked off by Liz Carmouche in that uh, debut fight, and she ended up submitting her too with an armbar. Misha Tate, you know, she went three rounds with her, but also beat her, her mortal enemies. And she's in the, you know, the, the DMB, the do nothing bitches, this whole thing. She's pop culture, man. Like she, she just breached the whole world. And I was a huge, I still am a huge fan of Ronda Rousey, man. I, I loved her so much. I was already watching MMA, but I wasn't tuning into every single fight the way I have been for years now. But at the time, um, I was already into it, but you know, she was the one who got me to watch for sure the fights. I would never miss a Rousey fight. And uh, I, you know, at the time, I knew who Holly Holm was. I knew that she had a lot of skills, but I really believed the hype. I believed <laughs> the the workout, the boxing videos that you would see of her, you know, hitting mitts. I was like, oh, man, she's so fast. And Joe Rogan's talking about how she's comparing her to Mike Tyson. So I was there, man. I was right on the edge, just fully loving on Ronda Rousey like the rest of the world. And then everything came crashing down in, in a spectacular way because not only did Ronda Rousey lose her belt and was she basically dominated, but she looked, you know, not as her, her physique was not on point. And there's the whole, you know, I'll get into it more, but the cornering advice and there's just so many elements, the weigh-ins. I mean, it turned into this huge thing. And, uh, just watching the fight today, like it took me back there, man. It kind of bummed me out. That 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 moment really is a, uh, a you know a significant moment for me as an MMA fan. What she lost, dude? Spoilers. Yes. Not cool. She, she lost. <laughs> nah. Um. Uh. You know what? Uh, I, look, I'm I'm with you right there. I mean, Ronda was it. Um. When you talk about the Alexis Davis 16 seconds, she tops that with 14 seconds against Katzengano, who everyone said was a by far tougher, you know, the tougher woman to defeat. And would have been. She would have been if she hadn't. You know, it was her error in in initial attack, right? If right. she had just been patient, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, but, uh, you know, everyone, like, dude, like, are you kidding me? Also, I think um, you got to put into context the timing. Um, if you remember, there was this new app that came out right when she was popping. It's called Instagram. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah, it was brand new. So for, you know, you youngins out there who just started listening to podcasts, maybe. Um, Instagram didn't always let you put a minute video on your account you could only do about 15 seconds or a single photo and guess whose fights conveniently and i'll be it i'll admit it illegally fit on instagram ronda's mm. back to back and remember everything i remember this everything she was doing was a first she was the I, I remember stuff like she was the first woman to be on the cover of men's health she was the first MMA fighter, the, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit. and Green magazine, I think. Yep, the first MMA fighter. I don't even, I don't want to say first female, but um, that wouldn't surprise me, you know, just because how many times we were thrown at that word. But yes, first MMA fighter, Ring Magazine, which people thought was a bit of shade at Holly Holm, who actually mm -hmm. was a boxing champion. All of that stuff was happening um hollywood she was doing the talk shows she was the one on conan on kimmel on all these other shows right then in hollywood she was freaking kicking ass with michelle rodriguez and fast and furious all this you know all of it coming together and all of that was just the rise all happening that year right because i think the year she lost is the same year she fought kat zingano and had that 14 seconds so just the trajectory, I just remember that, is like literally untouchable. Even if you thought Holly Holm, well, she's this, she's that. I Ask anybody. She was fighting Ronda Rousey. It was not supposed to be easy. It was not supposed to be X, Y, Z. And even you look at Holly now and her demeanor, and which is nothing wrong with it, but no one watching her thought she was going to bring down the tower the way she did. And I always like to talk about that fight, you know, just Ronda and everything metaphorically, like a shooting star, all eyes were on her for that just, you know, that amazing run. It wasn't like she was dominant for years, but 
all eyes were on her, especially, you know, those last two years of her reign. Then, um, you know, I, I always say it, the fight itself, Rhonda had built this just monolith of a reputation from everything top to bottom, the confidence, the style, the dominance, and every shot Holly Holm threw in that fight was like a sledgehammer taking it down chunk by chunk, brick by brick. It was arguably, you know, uh, the word unceremonious comes to mind, just the way it played out in context of everything. Uh, Natalie, um, I mean, there's not a lot to analyze, but let's talk about some X's and O's. Ronda Rousey was coming off a couple knockouts. People believed that she was confident in her power and I think in her hands. And of course, her grappling, her amazing just ability to find submissions, which is still very formidable, if you ask me. Um, and Holly Holm went out there and did the business. Just talk to me about the, the fight itself. Yeah, it was, it was really um, interesting watching it again. I watched it twice today because I did text you and tell you <laughs> that I couldn't find the fight on Fight Pass. Well, I, it turns out that if you look for it on your phone, which is what I did initially, it's blocked. But if you look on, uh, uh, you look it up on a computer, then you can access the fight through Fight Pass. Don't ask me why. So I watched yeah. it first on YouTube, uh, and it was a Spanish commentary, um, which was actually very interesting because. <laughs> Unlike the Joe Rogan uh, Goldberg, um, the Joe Rogan commentary. experience. Yeah, Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> they actually immediately called out Edmund Tarverdian for his his terrible cornering, saying beautiful work, and they kept referencing it at the very end. They 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 returned to that, um, you know, calling it a bad decision, uh, bad cornering advice. So so that was interesting to watch. Also, the YouTube feed was kind of blurry. And so when I watched it, I was like, hey, you know, Ronda didn't do so bad in the first in the first round. Like, I remembered it being a lot more well, total domination by Holly Holm. You know, she landed a few shots. When you see it in full clarity at HD, okay. <laughs> she did land, like, one good left hook um, that kind of seemed to hurt uh, Holly Holm. But, but, no. So she got pretty much dominated. Uh, it was all stand-up. Uh, well, I should say almost all stand-up. Uh, Rousey, Ronda did get in there a few times. Uh, you know, she she closed the distance and clinched. And Holly Holm, God bless her and her team, they trained their butts off for every scenario. And she says it in the interview: they trained for every scenario that Ronda presented to them, including takedowns and all that business. So Rousey took her down, but Holly got out. Um, Rousey uh, tried again to take her down, but I think before she made another attempt, Holly Holm herself took Ronda down, which was incredible. And you can imagine at that point, Ronda Rousey has eaten so many shots to the face. Pretty much all Holly Holm was aiming for was the center of Ronda Rousey's face, the nose, the mouth, and it started turning red, so it was an easy target. She's eating shots coming left hand, right hand, uppercut, hook, you know, a couple of kicks here and there, mostly those oblique kicks. But, you know, Rousey was, uh, appeared to be out of shape, uh, like her physique was a little, you know, it was a little soft. But conditioning-wise, too, she was chasing, chasing, chasing Holly Holm all around the cage. And what I noticed really clearly was how poor her footwork is or was at the time. You know, I think because of the judoka training where you want to be heavy, you want to be ready to, to hinge at the hips and, and rotate. It's just the way her body was, was trained. She could never really plant her feet for, for boxing. So she was always kind of hopping Usually, like, it looked like she was hopping with both feet forward, both feet backwards, really, really weak, weak base, and that made it really easy for, for Holly Holm to, to, to land, and as you know, no head moving on Rhonda's end, so that was also making it pretty easy for Holly Holm to, to land her punches at will. Um, that's pretty much the story. Holly Holm is just punching Rhonda in the face as many times as she can. Rhonda's chasing, getting tired, and then, you know, round two... Holly makes, I think she actually does hurt her with the left hook. Then she makes Rhonda kind of lose her balance, spins her around, greets her with a kick to the neck, and that's all she wrote. So, you know, it is what it, it, is, what it is, man. But like I said, watching it bum me out again because, because I can remember so clearly just just the, the magnitude of that loss. It was, it was insane. 
Yeah, I think that, um, and we'll talk about aftermath in a sec for sure, but uh, I think that um, I've heard some fighters say this. It's like, watch, the second somebody fights Ronda Clean, and I'm like, Katzengano was capable of it. I think Alexis Davis tried to do it, and you've got to imagine Sarah Kaufman also. Um, the, I guess I always want to put it in context. You don't, you know, don't Monday morning quarterback these things, right? And I think I want to give credit where it was due. I think that Ronda is a fantastic athlete. I think you cannot understate her submission ability at the time. Obviously, there are a lot of great grapplers on, you know, Nunes, Shevchenko, you know, and plenty of other girls who, you know, really doing work on the ground, especially in today's game. But at the time, she really was head and shoulders as a submission artist. She reminded me a lot of when Damian Maya first came in. He was just getting whatever he wanted, and he was making it look beautiful. I saw a lot of that in Ronda. Obviously, the attitude and all that, you know, that kind of hit a little bit. But um, then, of course, she got confident. She wanted to throw hands, and I think there was a bit of shock factor there because you're so worried about her ground game. When you talk about Holly Holm, just stylistically, she was always going to be a much tougher opponent for Ronda. Now, that's something in hindsight. I do remember specifically thinking, yeah, Holly has got a lot of these weapons, but also believed in Ronda's ability to come forward, create that pressure, maybe clinch her up, and, you know, the judo hip toss, and then she's going to go to work. But I did always believe in her ability to get to um, Holly, similar to Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, to compare to a more recent fight. Um, and yeah, so obviously the fight plays out, uh, like you broke it down very well, the footwork, Holly just hits her mark so often, so accurately, obviously shocked Ronda, Ronda's very hurt, um, I mean, looking back at it, you could argue she was already out in that first round, um, but that being said, I think that, uh, what it just really plays out for a lot of people is a fight of moments. You remember the moments. You remember Ronda getting like the takedown, but no control, like she seems to have always been able to do. And Holly gets back up, like you mentioned, the Holly with the brief takedown, um, all these things. And you know, you kind of like this is Ronda. Like it didn't feel like the same woman who was, you know, taking people out in 14, 16 seconds, right? I remember. I think the two moments that really stand out. Um, or just, or at least one besides the obvious, the finish. I think it's at the start of the second round. Ronda, you know, goes for a takedown. Holly sidesteps, and Ronda just has that kind of awkward crash into the cage. Yeah, it's like a matador. Uh, yes, and that, a bull. that one to me was when it was like she is not about to rally back in this one. Yeah, when that happened, I started like kind of panicking on the inside. I was like, oh my God, this is happening right in front of my eyes. I can't believe it. Yeah, that that was the one where I was like, yeah, th there's not about to be, you know, the Hail Mary comeback in my opinion. I do remember that one. And that moment live, like, dude, you know, that's, that's when I felt like, you know, you almost had a throw in the towel moment. But Ronda was the champion. Ronda was the superstar understand going in there and going out on your shield but that finish i mean after when you put it in context and then you get a knockout like that with the head kick and um you know i i people have played the clip about you know i think she went on jimmy fallon and you know predicted that exact thing could yeah. not happen She's oh like, but she's, she, she knocks out her opponents with head kicks, but she's not going to do that to me or that's not going to happen to me. Yeah, <laughs> something like it was a little too on the nose, right? Um, I mean, really, could you have ever scripted anything any better for Holly no, Holm? So. Not, not at all. And like what I remember, um, apart from my general feeling of like, holy moly, um, is how much Holly Holm was trembling, was shaking when she when she came out. And she was getting her, you know, the Vaseline put on and they were checking her, you know, patting her down and stuff. And you could see, to just see her abdomen, her, her, her stomach just going in and out, in and out. I was like, oh, my God, she's terrified. This is all over. And she's pacing back and forth while she's waiting for Rhonda to come out. But it taught me to never underestimate Holly Holm, one, and to never judge a book by its cover for as far as MMA, you know, is concerned with, with, with those specific scenarios when someone's getting prepped to go into the cage and while they're waiting for their opponent to show up, like, 
whatever look you see on them, it, it doesn't mean anything, you know. It was for her, it was just, that was the, the enormity of the moment, I think. And and it was just a lot on her shoulders, man. But she she owned her, and and it is what it is. Ronda, yeah, the grappling, like, unmatched at that, t- at that, at that time. Um, I also remember the weigh-ins bef- the day before. That's when I first, I think everybody first thought, like, oh, shoot, this, this could be interesting tomorrow. Because up until that point, I had, like, full confidence in Ronda Rousey. But when I saw her act out in that way, have such a strong reaction to Holly Holm, putting her, you know, fist on her cheek and then pushing downward, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. She didn't touch gloves. Like, it's starting to turn into, like, a Misha Tate kind of scenario. And And remember... Misha Tate was the one truly next in line for, for that belt, a shot at that belt again. But because, you know, Rhonda didn't really want to fight her again, she'd already just beaten her. They did this like surprise announcement with Holly Holm, who was like, who? I mean, we know who she was, obviously, but it wasn't the fight, the matchup anybody expected. It should have been Misha Tate. How different would the world have been if that had happened? Uh, but it ended up going to Holly Holm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll say I'll say one last thing on this is that you know before I got pregnant I used to enjoy a beer or two or three when I watched uh, UFC fights, and so back then I definitely had a few. And uh, I gotta tell you, man, I cried a little bit when Ronda Rousey lost. It was such a shock to me, and I was you know enough enough under the influence there that it got me. And uh, I'll never forget that. Yeah, I think that um, when I look at it in context, and uh, you know. I think um, I want to start with Holly, then obviously we talk uh, more Ronda. But um, when you talk about the immediate effect, I mean, literally no one knew Holly to everyone knew Holly. I'll tell you a very specific yeah. story. Um, working another job, um, people couldn't care less that I interview, you know, the stars of the UFC and all that, right? Um, and, you know, like you'd make friends and talk to a few people. This woman, uh, Rosa bless her heart, still a sweetheart, helped me with everything at that job, but, um, you know, talk about it, and it's like, oh, well, you know, do you watch the UFC and all that, then she's like, no, 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 I've only ever watched, like, one fight, it was when that one blonde girl knocked out the other blonde girl, <laughs> I, do I even gotta say it, that is how general consciousness <laughs> that moment was, and I knew exactly who she meant, and I was like, the one with the kick, she's like, yeah, did you see that one? Bless her heart, Rosa. <laughs> I, you know, if you're listening, you still rock, man. But look, um, that is what that moment was. And when you talk about Holly Holmes' star, you know, just overall, just uh, star power, she went from being an unknown to everyone knows her. Everyone still knows her. Um, and I've always talked about this because I think there's a big knock on Holly, um, similar to Uriah Faber, just... How you know she's gotten a lot of shots to regain the title, right? She had the shot at 145, two shots at 145, then recently at 135. Um, the numbers are what they are since the fight with Ronda, and I kind of always say this, and um, we kind of have a similar conversation when you talk about Adesanya, Romero, Henry Cejudo, and Jose Aldo. That moment and just her. You know, just how recognizable she is, just her name value. You can't understate it. Because just the same way Rhonda was a big superstar, there's always that moment. You know, everyone loves an underdog, right? So, you know, as the saying goes. Yeah. No matter how the fights with Megan Anderson or, you know, Jermaine or Chris Cyborg, how those went for Holly. To many people, and I swear, I still see this even when um, I was in Vegas watching her, you know, for the fight, you know, leading up to Amanda Nunes. You could tell that to many people, she was still that person. She's always going to be that person who slayed the dragon, the David who defeated Goliath. And you can't understate the impact that moment had for all the underdogs inside of all of us. Obviously, some resonate more than others. Um, you know, depending. And I always say that it's like, you know what, here's the thing. That is how big that moment was. That you shouldn't be surprised. Because that's how big that that one was. Is you literally jumped into everybody's, you know, knowledge bank of the world in pop culture with that knockout. 
Yeah, forever. Very, very few people can ever say that. And I think that's something that you can't understate. She is still that woman to a lot of people. And, you know, so when you talk about title shots, do not be surprised. That's how big yeah. it was. She is still that woman. And that's why I think, and, you know, obviously she has the skills to back it up, but that's why she's, she's, as you mentioned, gotten so many title shot opportunities because her name is so big that like, oh, Holly Holmes fighting for a championship fight. Okay. Let's, you know, let's check it out. Maybe we'll see something spectacular again, you know. Yeah. And also in context, um, it's no secret. Bantamweight has really been struggling to get talent in the, in recent years. Um, and featherweight is a brand new thing. So, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, adjustment for inflation there, so to speak. But, you know, like uh, certainly people, you know, they look at the numbers and it is what it is, right? But yeah, mm -hmm. certainly. And by the way, right now, Holly Holm is still on the short list at Bantamweight, if you ask me. Yes, I know she just fought Amanda Nunes last year. Talk to me about the rankings and tell me if she's exactly fallen far down. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that's a sign of the times at 135. And she looks better than ever, physique-wise. So, you know, oh, she's she, willing. She's still at, the, at an elite level, definitely. Yeah. Indeed. Now, going to Ronda, of course, because this is the one everyone, like everybody else, everyone wants to know what happened. Was she distracted? Did the fame get to her? Was it blah, 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 blah? It takes a lot of energy to be a rock star, man. It does. And here's the thing is, uh, and I've I said it's um, maybe not as much um, since you came into the fold, but like I brought it up. My one thing on Ronda Rousey was that, you know, she never had the post fight interview, right? When she fought Amanda, when she after the fight yeah. with Holly, yeah. she never she never did another UFC press conference. If you think about it, she never did another media day. Mm -hmm. um, she has done, you know, a few interviews, but I think it wasn't even until about almost over a year later when she talked to Brett Okamoto and she talked about the stress and she wanted to be out and this and that. Um, for the record, I always thought Ronda was going to come back. I thought she was going to fight. Um, however, I've always said this and I especially kind of just got validated when she said it. If in her heart, she doesn't want to go out there. I don't want to see her out there. If physical ability or not, you know, I think that's the thing. So when guys say, I feel like I want to retire, even if I still think they could bring it and give people the business, I think that's like, look, you know, I wouldn't want that because whether you're a fan or you work in the business or even, you know, there's plenty of people who are a combination anymore. Um, the investment is like, look, if you're not in it, by all means, go do what you got to do, you know? And so I never, you know, had an issue with that for Rhonda. I think there was just this awkward thing because by all accounts, she made this a lot of fun for a lot of people, whether you were a fan, whether you cover it, whether it was to enjoy the show, this and that. And so the fact that she almost seems to not, you know, it's not her thing. She doesn't want to talk about it. We don't really see her around it as often. Uh, you know, I always say it, you know, it kind of sucks because I think we'd love Rhonda. I think that so many people, if she were to, have, for example, she was uh, cheering on the women, right? Joanna versus Whaley. Uh -huh. Whaley mentioned she's an inspiration. If the freaking big screen, you know, the cameras panned over and you see Rhonda there just hanging out with Travis, throws, the, throws up the fist and does a couple, you know, you know, claps the hands a little bit, people would have lost it. They, we were, we, everyone would be ready to welcome her back with open arms, right? You know, like, come on, this is, this is still your party. You're still invited. Um, Ronda, I would hope so, man, but it, I don't know, like, I, I would, but it seems like a lot of people are really bitter about her, as you mentioned, not doing those interviews and then not doing media since that fight. Like, it's weird. It's this weird energy that, that seems like the MMA fans are sort of split down the middle where they love her or they just have gone from being a huge fan to just kind of mocking her, which I think sucks. Um, but, but I would definitely be fired up to see her in the crowd. I, I wish that she had just come out and, and face the music. Um, just, just, just to get it over with, just to get the monkey off her back. Um, because I think, you know, she might not even realize it, but it's got to still be like a lump in her throat, you know? Um, even though her time with WWE was amazing, like she, she, she showed that she really is a true athlete. She went all in, man. She was doing incredible stuff there. I was really impressed. And I think she won over the fans in that world. 
And it got me thinking, like, maybe she ultimately respected that art form more because she was a huge fan of that. MMA was something she chose to do because her, her athletic background, she thought it would be a cool way to make a living. But she was a huge wrestling fan. And I think she felt more uh, responsibility to, to give it all her all. Whereas, and, and plus, she knew it was just going to be one hard year. With MMA, it was, you know, the responsibility and the pressure just kept growing and growing and growing. And it's real stakes. You know, WWE isn't. But um, anyway, going back to where you, where you left off, I would be super ecstatic to see her in the crowd pumping her fist. You know what? I think that it's uh, one of those things that um, you have to remember, like, personalities in the sport. And look, she knew how to sell the fights. She knew, you know, look, like you said, pro wrestling fan. She understood promotion, self-promotion, all of that, etc. But, and we've kind of heard this a little bit from, you know, more current stars like Robert Whitaker, like Demetrius Johnson, that aspect that, you know, maybe playing it up for the crowd and, you know, being the center of attention, it's not necessarily their thing. I think as, you know, crazy as this sounds when you just say the facts, as big of a star she was and as much as she played into being the superstar and selling her fights, you know, I, I think that she was just always a more private person. And, you know, very bluntly, she doesn't ever have to face the music. She's a big enough star that really, it's like, well, she never sat in another UFC press conference. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, who cares, man? Ronda People still that are hung up millions. on that. Yeah, yeah. Ronda still makes millions, I'm sure. I'm sure WWE was not cheap. I am mm-hmm. sure they cut the check. Um, all of this, and you know, she seems very happy. She's clearly more prepared for the recent Apocalypse. events than the rest of yes. us. Uh, yes, she is. Yes, she's, <laughs> she's got her animals, and she. I'm sure people wish they were nicer now. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. She has her vegetables yeah. that grow all over, and um, yeah, man, that's uh, she's happy. She's living a, the, the a simple now. Yeah. It's hard life. Farming and, and ranching is hard, but she seems, she seems like. She, She's I, living her, her life, man, the way she wants to. And, and God bless her, man. I still love Ronda Rousey till I die, man. I mean, I, I still think it would have been awesome, her versus Gina Carano. I, yeah. I've always said it. I mean, there's another earth out there where, you know, those two put on the biggest fight in women's MMA, and it was awesome. I just, I've always said that. If, like, Bellator ever wanted to, like, offer both of them a bajillion dollars to oh, fight each other. Oh, she'd never do it. You think she would never UFC fight? or bust? <laughs> I know well, there's a. I've I seen the interviews. I saw Gina on Ariel's show. I know it's not gonna happen, but still, man, come on. You know, I, you I talk, hear you, baby. I hear you. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was another title on the line that night, Natalie. What? Joanna Yo and J Chick. I think only one fight into her title reign, won the belt, defended it against Jessica Panay. And then she comes back to take on uh, Canadian Valerie Letourneau. If you guys remember, you know, similar to the Ronda thing, it was expected that Claudia Gadea was going to be her opponent. Claudia, I think, had a broken hand. They went on to do Ultimate Fighter before they fought. But that night, Joanna kind of got to, I'll say it, ride the coattails of a Ronda Rousey event. And, you know, she kind of did a little bit of what we're used to. Five rounds. Valerie was a lot tougher than I think a lot of people remember in that fight. But at the end of the day, it was Joanna just a step ahead for 25 minutes. Um, I think that when you look at the fights with, let's say, Karolina Kovalkiewicz or even just Gondrage, that maybe this one flies under the radar. It just, just didn't look as clean and as surgical as some of her later performances were but Valerie was game and Joanna had to go in there and really you know she had to stay disciplined for a full 25 minutes that wasn't an easy fight to make it look the way she did yeah and and these were you know as you said early days for Joanna so she was still you know with her Polish team Valerie Letourneau was fighting at ATT um you know obviously Joanna's now there uh but um what I, what I noticed right away was like, oh, damn, her she looks like the Grim Reaper as far as her face, not her face face, but like because of the weight cut. 
She had like those bags under her eyes and I forgot that like she used to look really bad when she would cut weight for 115. You know, this fight against Whaley Zhang, she looked amazing, muscular or really toned, I should say, uh, cut and she looked healthy, which, which probably, you know, she's had a lot of, um, uh, you know, guidance with her weight cutting, her diet and all that stuff, which I don't think she had back then. She was probably just straight, like trying to drop the weight the night before. So she was... Classic Joanna, but but a little bit slower. You know, no no power in the in the punches. Not what we saw with this last fight, right? She actually had some power there. Um, and for me, the story of the night, and, and Joe Rogan said it too, but but <laughs> I'll say it again, was those front kicks, those yep. front kicks that in those close distance front kicks where she just whipped out her foot and flam slapped you know Laterno on the face wherever she wanted. Those were some hard kicks, man. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a classic Joanna performance. Um, Laterno started out well, round one, right? She was good. She was uh, firing back, answering at, uh, with Joanna. Took her down, held her down. It was it was pretty good. And then little by little, you know, Joanna just started like taking over, taking over, taking over. By the end of it, Laterno was still game, but she just um, like she just has no quit in her. But like the killer instinct kind of started dissipating, and she kind of. Um, developed like a defeatist posture. So she would throw a shot. And if, if Joanna landed with something good, her arms would kind of drop and she would kind of, you know, shake it out or, or, you know, just take a second before she resumed position to attack again. So, you know, it was a lot. It's a lot to fight Joanna. And, and it's a, it's a wake up for Laterno too, because she's the bigger fighter. So, you know, 125 is definitely, I think, where they both would do best. Uh, you know, I say that knowing that Joanna took one shot at it and then bounced back to 115. But you know, all in all, it was a good, it was a good fight. Yeah, I think that that one, you know, in context, Joanna was clearly not this. You know, even though she was champion and you know about to embark on you know a historic run, she ended up defi- defending the title five times, which is only one less than Ronda. I think something you gotta remember is that consecutively by the numbers she's still got second place behind well i think she's tied now for second place behind ronda ronda had six title defenses uh joanna finished with five i think amanda now if i counted them correctly she's at five now amanda obviously gets the asterisk because she has and you know one featherweight title victory you know in that span also but you know the fact is the number six is still right there and Joanna still set number five, which is still very impressive when you consider how many talented women we've had, and nobody's been able to break through yet. I do think that very well could happen with either Valentina or Amanda very soon. But, you know, the fact is, it's not easy to get that many title defenses for most champions. Look how many of the guys haven't been able to yet. That's a very impressive mark for any uh, martial artist, so... I always remember that for Joanna. This is the beginning of a great fight. Um, like you said, uh, the striking, you know, good, but those front kicks, I agree with you. Those were the story. Of, I just remember how game Valerie was, and that was just a very good performance uh, for her. But, you know, you kind of saw why Joanna was the woman who was going to reign for a long time in that fight. Yeah, definitely. Now, is, is Valerie Letourneau still an active fighter? I haven't. I don't think so. Um, I think that she is still technically under contract with Bellator, but I think that, um, you know, after the fight with Alima, I think that she has called it a day, you know, mm. probably the option to return if she wants to, but, you know. I, well, I, I got to, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think that um, that was always the case, right? You know, in her Bellator run, you know, she was right there. And I, I don't know if she feels like she's up for climbing the ladder again at this stage. That's tough, man. I don't remember how old she is, but but what I do remember, I have a, a a funny, well, funny to me anyway, probably not to her story. I was in Hawaii for that Bellator card. I was I was there. I was actually rooting for Valerie Letourneau, even though I was in Hawaii and it was Illumilei territory. Oh, you must and, have felt like you weren't going to make it back home. Yeah, no, I did my rooting very quietly. <laughs> I kept it to myself. Um, but uh, what I remember is that on our last day in Hawaii, First of all, it was like an amazing experience because this was before I started, you know, going out and trying to do what, what, you know, what you do, which is interview fighters and go to these events. So I was just a fan when I was there and walking around the hotel where I was staying happened to be the fighter hotel, not done on purpose. 
So I would see everybody just walking around, Olimale, you know, um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Leoto? Anyway, not, well, yeah, I just see Leoto as well, Big John McCarthy, Josh Thompson, but um, Frank Mir, that's what I was thinking. And Valerie Letourneau. So on our last day, my, my then boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, we went to a different hotel to have some Mai Tais because they're famous for them there. We had our drinks. I had like a few too many. So I was feeling really good. We we're going to fly back home. Oh, gosh. Outside. <laughs> and who's walking right in front of me? Valerie Letourneau with Hector Lombard. And I was, you know, confident enough to say, oh, Miss Letourneau. I said, I- I'm such a big fan of yours. I really enjoyed your fight. <laughs> And I'm thinking after the fact, I was like, well, what, you lost. So what did you enjoy is probably what she was thinking. Um, but I tried to shake her hand and she had it like in a, in a cast, like oh. a temple cast. And I was like, oh man, like, and I saw, I looked into her eyes, dude, I looked into her eyes and she just looked, you know, she looked bummed out, man. She lost her fight. And there's some, some asshole like trying to shake her hand, you know? Um, so I felt really bad about it, but you know, Valerie Letourneau, I found the target, you know? <laughs> Do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> remember, remember when she said that to you? I no, felt you so know, bad about it that I like DM'd her on Twitter. I was like, "Ma'am, I uh, I'm so sorry. I was I'm inebriated. So yeah, I was I just, rooting. I was I rooting for you, please. I really was. I was rooting for you. I just want to tell you that I'm a big fan. You know, I didn't mean to make you feel weird, but yeah, man, I looked into her eyes and and she just looked bummed out. It was a, it was like a human. A real human like interaction, even though I was, you know, a few sheets under, a few sheets to the wind. You know, but, um, uh, I think that in this story, you know, I, I'm sure the apology would be accepted. I, I think you're good. You are not in trouble. Oh. <laughs> no, I, that's all I have to say about that. Stuff happens. I'll tell you about an awkward thing that happened once to me and Chuck Liddell, and thank goodness I don't think he actually remembers. Um, <laughs> but it was just a miscommunication. I was like, oh man. But guys, we need more throwbacks for next week, so not today. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but um, I mean, that was quite the night. Uh, people may not realize this, but there was a certain future UFC middleweight champion, Robert Whitaker. I think he picked up his, it was his second middleweight fight in the UFC, and he got it against Uriah Hall. So he was starting his ascension toward the title. He was starting to take on more recognizable competition. Obviously, we know he started to put together this great run that culminated with defending the title, the fights with Yoel Romero. And I always like to add a little asterisk. Per his words, somewhere in the nosebleeds, future headliner at the arena, and now obviously a big star in MMA himself, Israel Adesanya, was apparently watching this event. So I always think it's a very beautiful symmetry. And it all comes right back to right there, the Marvel Stadium. Not called that back in the day, but obviously now. Yeah. Yes. So it was quite, you know, quite a lot of context there. So very interesting. It was quite the memorable night. I, I always remember this. The number of mainstream stars who were suddenly talking about MMA. I, I, for some reason, I think I remember Justin Timberlake like was randomly tweeting about the fight everybody was tweeting and you could tell that all of these a-listers had tuned in to a ufc pay-per-view and it was because of ronda yep i mean i i think that's something that doesn't happen as often anymore so certainly some connor obviously has that effect the bmf belt i think had that effect but it doesn't happen quite as often recently and i think that's saying something for how big it was and how big a star Ronda continues to be. Yeah, yeah. And I will say this. I am looking forward to seeing. I know that ESPN is re-airing the, um, the pay-per-view with Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. That was, I'm looking forward to that. I like that you know all of these networks are deciding to give us some of the good stuff on TV as they understand this time. Damn, you know, in the old days, old days, before your time probably, network television used to show reruns. That's how you would catch up on like, or like remember what happened on Beverly Hills 90210 because they kept showing the, the episodes over and over again or Melrose Place or whatever. They don't do that anymore. So I'm glad, even though it's their sports, I'm glad. In fact, you know, it's combat sports, I think, are the only real sports that you can watch reruns of, if you will, and wrestling. 
Um, but like, would you sit around and watch a, an entire baseball game that you already, you know, that you already know how it goes down or basketball maybe because it's fast paced, but I think really combat sports is the only one that you would be willing to sit down again and be like, yeah, I'll watch this fight one more time. I think that, um, when it comes to the big sports, it's gotta be a classic. You gotta be, and you kind of gotta be devoted. You kind of have to have your tub of popcorn or your pizza or what have you. And you gotta really want to sit there and watch the game seven of MLB or the NBA finals, stuff like that. Um, for sure. I, like I saw someone tweeting about it. They were watching like some classic Michael Jordan that they had on NBA TV. That is cool. I completely get that. Yeah. Jordan for sure. Yeah, you can't do that for too many games, though, I don't think, especially when you know the outcome. Um, the nice thing about MMA, especially the way we absorb it now, you can just go to the specific fight you want, the specific fighters. You can scroll past the things like the walkouts and the commercial break, you know, to enjoy it. But certainly, you know, it's easier. I don't think a lot of people will do a full fight card, at least not too often. So it not becomes a whole thing. Yeah. A, a brief note before you move on, on, you're talking about the music and fast forwarding through that, you know, one of the best walkouts of all time has to be Ronda Rousey, um, and Joan Jett song, right? Oh yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you want rewatch this on fight pass or not, but because of like music rights, you know, they, they don't play the original music that fighters walk out to. Yeah. So it's just like really generic music, <laughs> which kills the whole thing because it's like so exciting to hear her walk out to, you know, a uh, bad reputation. But uh, when I first signed up for, for Fight Pass, I didn't realize that was hap- that's what the case was. And so I kept thinking, I was like, man, these guys are really walking out to like some really generic rock music. Like I, I thought they would pick <laughs> pick something more interesting. And then I realized that it was just the 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 dub, I guess, if you will, because they, they don't have the rights to the original music. It's okay, my friend. These things yeah, happen to okay. the best of us. <laughs> I, oh, Lord. I won't tell anybody, okay? Don't tell anybody, <laughs> dude. I'll uh, murder you. I'll give you COVID. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, don't joke like that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm That's, sorry. I think about it. Think yeah. About it. You could give me the flu. You, know? <laughs> you could give me swine flu. We could make that joke. That's right. H1N1. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we talked about it. There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of TV to be watched these days. So we decided one of the things we could do to talk about it since we're waiting for everything, um, look back at some of our favorite MMA programming, not to say like an MMA TV show, although there are those out there and we can, I'm sure we'll dive in at some point um, over the next few weeks. But this one, I think we started just nice and easy. This one, the first one we're going to talk about, Law & Order SVU, Season 9, Episode 8, a.k.a. Forrest Griffin's debut into dramatic television. <laughs> So to give you guys some context, you know, I think everyone knows how Law & Order works. Mariska Hargitay works with some other, you know, better than average looking detective and they solve crime within 45 minutes, you know, taking out the commercials. This episode, obviously like a lot of them, a body is found. And who is the prime suspect? A MMA fighter played by none other than our beloved original Ultimate Fighter winner. Forrest Griffin, thoughts? Well, first I have a question. Are you a fan of Law & Order SVU or any Law & Order at all? Do you okay. watch these shows? You know what? I've seen, I think like most people, you've seen enough Law & Order to get the gist of it. I will say this. In college, it was my jam because it was the perfect show to have in the background while you did work. Like, I could see that for sure. Yes. So, and, and also remember, I always remember this, that, you know, before streaming and everything um you know and everything was just on cable is the show literally you could always find it somewhere yes no matter TNT what time or of day, tbs or something no matter what time of day you can find law and order svu playing somewhere that's how many episodes they have and that's why marishka hargitay is the you know highest paid person all the oh my residuals God, she's loaded yeah um okay so actually i don't watch these law and order shows i've never been into them nothing against them i just just never got around to it i've seen one or two mm-hmm. but um they're very um how do i say just comp- complex the each episode has a lot of twists and turns at least this episode so i don't know if the other ones are like that 
I'm pretty but sure Oval that's Lights, the fun of it. <laughs> it starts at A and it ends at like Z squared. I mean, God almighty. So spoiler alert, Forrest Griffin dies in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, that was shocking to me. I was like, what? <laughs> um, a, a couple other things. I don't know if you ever watched Ice-T's reality show with his wife, Coco. I have seen it. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, it's Coco. So she played his wife, Forrest Griffin's wife, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Kona is the character. So that was hilarious. Her acting was fine. It was fun. I enjoyed watching their, the little scene she had with Ice-T. Um, but, boy, the, the, the big takeaway for, for me was this episode went all over the moon and back, man. Like, what? <laughs> it starts out with Forrest Griffin. He gets killed by the victim of the father, the, the father's victim. No, the victim's father, excuse me. And then there's, like, these two other dudes their brothers, that there's footage of them dancing with this lady who was murdered, you know, the night before at a frat party. And then you think it was them. And then one of them confesses. But then it turns out that it was another dude from a gang that, that they're in, that they're trying to get out of. Holy moly. And and then two last things on this. Um, the, the guy who ended up being the murderer was named J-Mac. Mm-hmm. He dies in a, in a dumpster. Because he's trying to run away from Ice-T. He jumps like off a bridge or something and lands in a dump truck. Uh, sorry, not a dumpster, a dump truck. And um, the compressor is, is switched on. So he's in it and he can't get out. And the, the, it's like that scene from Star Wars where Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are, and Han are, t- are trapped in that room where the walls are closing in on them. Oh, yeah. So he's in it. He's shouting up at Ice-T, shut it off, I don't want to die like this, oh my god. And Ice-T's shouting down at the dump, the, the dump truck operator who's got his headphones in and he's rocking out to some music. He can't see or hear Ice-T. And then, crap, crunch. The guy gets crushed to death in a dump truck. I mean, <laughs> this is outrageous. I was like blown away by this episode. Um, my last note on this is that this poor woman was, was brutally murdered, but her lips were cut off. And they never explain why. Do you know why? I thought it was just like the, the masochistic thing. Like for, Which is a sick, twisted man that cut, yeah. lip, cut her lips off. Yeah. So yeah. But, well, um, that's, no, well, go ahead. That's it. That's all, that's all I have to say about that. Um, I mean, I was going to analyze in a completely different direction. I, <laughs> I think that it was one of the more... Um, I think it was a better episode than I think a lot of them. I think that it had wow. a very easy-to-follow plot for all of its twists. You were able to bounce from wall to wall as they sent you pretty well. It wasn't hard to understand all the players involved, right? Um, And, and, you know, spoiler alert, they catch the bad guy. Um, You know, justice served, et cetera, et cetera. So that worked out nicely. Well, but he died. Well, what more do you want for someone? You just said they cut the lips off. (laughs) <laughs> I know, but he didn't get just, I mean, it was a terrible death. So, yes. But, you know. They, most people would be like, well, you know, you commit a crime like that, that's the punishment. That's no, true. But that's, I, that's at fair. least in TV world. I know the real world works differently. We're talking about, you know, a crime show. You know, the, the logic there, guys. So, just put it in context. <laughs> it was quite, yeah, it, it was quite the show. Uh, I will say this, I feel like they did a good job of explaining the world of MMA to clearly non-MMA knowledgeable characters on the show. Um, you know, so if you watch it, they have a little bit of, um, you know, it clearly it's set up, it's supposed to be Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden is not that small, but, you know, <laughs> let's, let's play fiction now. Anyway, uh, Forrest Griffin has a little bit of an MMA fight. He wins. He celebrates with his wife, aka Coco. Um, I will say this: the credit I was really um, impressed with. I think that Forrest did a good job playing the part that he did. He wasn't the killer, but he was not just he, a bit of a thug, a bit of a you know. He's kind of right and high on being you know alpha male. Girls throw themselves at him because he's a fighter. I think he played that role very well for his short appearance. Also, uh, one of the characters they reveal is a former MMA fighter who was going to fight before he tore his knee. Um, And he has a very fun, he gets to kind of face off and, you know, have that intense stare down with Forrest Griffin. Um, Adam Beach, who if you're a fan, he plays, you know, Detective Lake on the show. I thought that was well done. I'm glad that they got to have that moment. I bet it was a lot of fun as an actor to be like, oh, I get to face off with Mr. UFC champion. Awesome. So 
I did enjoy that. I think that they committed to it very well. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and it, it fooled me because I thought it was going to be all about MMA. So when when poor Forrest gets shot in the head, as I said, ten I think it was eleven minutes in. I was like, oh boy, now what's going to happen? I mean, it's um, only yeah, a 45-minute episode. I, it is only a 45-minute episode. <laughs> but they crammed a heck of a lot of stories in there. I mean, then the, oh, then there was the drug-addicted mother of the two boys. I mean, there was so much going on. And then how about the ending when the Adam Beach guy is like, hey, guys, I have a surprise for you. And then Ice-T calls and says, uh, scratch that surprise. He found the mother OD in the room in her apartment. So then Adam Beach tells the kids, I'm going to take you to Red Lobster because that's what the mom used to say. I mean, it was. I know, a, it was a sad ending, wasn't it? It was sad. I, I and I was like, if you ever tell me that you're going to take me to Red Lobster, I'm going to run the other way. <laughs> I will say this new listeners probably don't realize we don't normally talk about these topics on MMA. TV. I'm very excited, obviously. I'm very fired up. <laughs> I could see that I gave you something good to watch in this time of, you know, I found you some good quarantainment. You did. You certainly did. And one last thing uh, I saw in the closing <laughs> credits. Yep. Henzo Gracie's name listed as the character Tony Diaz, but I don't know where he appeared. Do I, I you think he was remember? a cornerman for Forrest. Okay. Which Thank makes you. sense because I know they do shoot it in New York and Henzo would have been convenient to show up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, That's it. I'm out there. <laughs> Guys, I'm not going to leave you, you know, <laughs> on that note. We do have one more episode. This one, I, I love it. Every time it comes on in a rerun, if I can, I stay to watch the whole episode. Um, Friends, the one with the ultimate fighting champion. So um, I don't think I got to explain what friends are. The five friends, they live in, you know, they're not all in one apartment, but they might as well be somehow. Um, sitcom, good fun. If you guys don't remember this episode, Monica starts dating this rich guy who has dreams of being, quote, an ultimate fighting champion. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't come in on day one of the UFC, so I don't know if that's what we actually used to call it. All I know is that it sounds so silly in 2020 to say, I'm the ultimate fighting champion. But that's <laughs> what, um, credit John Favreau, who is a very big MMA fan, he gave Gina Carano, her, you know, essentially set it up for her to be in Mandalorian. Obviously, he's gone on to be an, um, you know, director and be a part of Iron Man and Marvel. By the way, technically has another MMA moment with Black Widow in Iron Man 2. You know, mm. yes, if you remember, she kind of throws him around, does a flying armbar on him. <laughs> so uh, from what I've heard, I think he's a legit MMA guy. And, you know, obviously he's training very hard to be the ultimate fighting champion. And we have probably the, one of the more awesome cameos. He gets an, a UFC fight and he's fighting none other than Tank Abbott, who's being cornered by a not yet bleach haired Tito Ortiz. <laughs> he's being introduced by Bruce Buffer. Um, some of the friends are there watching front row. Um, it's just, I love it. It's so funny and campy and they do a good job of committing to it. I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty hilarious. And, and big John McCarthy also there as the, uh, as the ref. Yes. So I was curious, like, who did they consult? Like, which, who, was it just Favreau? Like, who did they consult to make sure that they lined up all the, that, you know, the key people to make this a legitimate, like UFC event. There's just no, no Joe Rogan. Right. But I don't remember what year this episode was in because they still had the old UFC logo. Right. Um, I feel like so. it was. It would have been two thousands. You know, mm. pre Ultimate Fighter days. Clearly. Okay. I wouldn't like Tank Abbott was still fighting. Still know, fighting. Yeah. Date okay. it. <laughs> yeah, um, but um. Oh, go ahead. But you know, I was say yeah. I'm a huge Friends fan, so I, I I love this episode, and I wasn't. I almost wasn't going to watch it because I was like, oh yeah, I remember, and then I did, and I'm glad I did because I at the time that I watched this episode, or even in reruns. I wasn't into the UFC or MMA or the UFC, so I had no idea who these people were. Bruce Bruce Buffer, Tank Abbott, Drake, John McCarthy. So it was really, really awesome to, to go back and watch and recognize all the names and all the faces all of a sudden. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me, John Favreau had a pretty impressive physique. He was looking, mm -hmm. looking, looking pretty good there. Like an ultimate fighting champion. Like an ultimate fighting champion, yeah. Um, 
And if you remember the previous episode, this is like a two-part episode almost, mm -hmm. where Monica thinks that Pete's going to propose to her because she saw like a memo in his checkbook for ring design. But it was actually, a, well, this is where it's like, was he having, I don't remember if he was having a boxing ring or a cage, but they just called it a ring. Yeah. Um, an octagon. Um, what I, what I, what I thought was pretty awesome was his commitment to, to this, to this endeavor. Like he was literally willing to say goodbye to Monica because, <laughs> uh, he wanted to be the ultimate fighting champion. He's in a, basically a half body cast from the waist up and he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep working and getting better. So very, very, uh, very inspirational there. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. That was a, a, a classic, a classic episode. And then if we step away from the UFC aspect of it. Um, it leads into a really funny uh, next episode. I think might be the next episode or a few further down where uh, Rachel, because that storyline is that Ross goes on a date with a friend of Phoebe's who's supposed to be bald, but she at this point has regrown her hair and looks beautiful. And later on, uh, all the friends go to like a, a beach house. Oh, yeah. This, this chick shows up and Rachel's jealous. And so she convinces her over a long conversation to shave her head again. Um, because she doesn't want her to stay with Ross. And so that turns into a whole funny other thing. But, yeah. That's that's the one where, like, the beach house gets flooded with sand, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember that one. Now, there's a lot of fun stuff. Um, I always like when... Anytime you get to see, like, the bromance with Chandler and uh, Joey, I think they have... They gave those two clearly a lot to work with. And um, I think that's what makes the show very endearing. I think that... um. Every time they talk about the reunion, I always like the answer that they give about why it hasn't happened. I know they're, st they're talking about a little bit of a run on HBO or something now. Um, but I always like the answer. It's like, why doesn't it happen? And they're like, because to be honest, friends about a time in your life where your friends become your family. And the biggest thing about, you know, having your own family is that that time is over. So they said that if you were to bring the friends together today it would play out different because their lives would be different, which I completely yeah, get. It totally would. But yeah. I still want to see them all hug it out and have a few laughs just for the fun of it. But yeah, I, I always like that one. Certainly, you know, um, I, I mean, if you watch Friends, you know, there's plenty of lulls in there, you know, were they or were they not on a break? Did Was Joey they, ever going to become a big actor? It, it still divides people. It's yeah. I mean, look. It, not only does it still divide people, but you know, in the real world, there was the whole Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie thing. I am Team Aniston for life. Like, put that on my tombstone. <laughs> you know. So that's how much I'm into this show. <laughs> Can I tell you something about mm -hmm. as I think of as we wrap up this episode? I feel like there's a lot of people over the last seven days that have gotten to know the people in their house differently. <laughs> And I feel like the same thing has happened in today's episode of me and you. <laughs> yes, uh, I believe so. When we're forced to talk about stuff that's not MMA, we learn a few things. Learn a few things. I'm a TV, actually not so much anymore, because um, according to my pediatrician, she says, if you're feeding your baby his bottle and he looks at the TV, you have to turn the TV off because it's going to mess with his like focus or whatever. Really? So, yeah. So like <laughs> these that's days... It's a thing. No one did that for me. I tell you that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm like, damn it, Joe, don't look at the television. Um, so mostly I have the TV off these days, except for this amazing gift that you gave me to watch a bunch of television. So thank you. Oh, I'd be cheating. Put it on my phone. Headphones. <laughs> nope. Eyes down there, Joe. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Well, guys, I hope that you guys had a little bit of fun looking back on Take a Walk Down Memory Lane with us. I am sure, you know, like like I said, we're not about to rehash a lot of stuff. I know that uh, Tony and Habib, is, you know, the plug has not been pulled. I'm going to say this. I'm in a very cautious state of mind. I would love nothing more than to see some good MMA action back. I'm being up as much as I would like to be optimistic. I also feel like the last few days have made me feel realistic. Natalie, do you feel a little differently about things? Well, um, I still, I still, you know, for as much as I don't usually agree with Dana White, I still, you know, was was kind of fired up by him trying to push the fights through. You know, a few weeks ago. You know, of course, 
the situation changed and couldn't have more than 10 people in a room. So all of that goes away. And yet somehow I still believe he's going to pull this off with, uh, with the fight on April 18th. We shall see. Uh, most importantly, you know, uh, if you're going to do it, like be as safe as possible. But um, I don't know, man, he says, don't bend against me. And I think the fact that everybody is, is just motivating him even more to get this done. So we'll see. I'm going to leave us with this. If it happens, the morning of the fight, when it's all set in stone, where it's about to happen, I see Dana White rallying UFC staff, and it's going to be like that moment in Pacific Rim with Idris Elba's character. <laughs> he gives him that speech, and you know, like, today, we are canceling the apocalypse, and they all cheer <laughs> for him. I see Dana White giving that speech to the people. I can see that We're happening. canceling the pandemic. Like we are today, we are canceling the apocalypse. <laughs> We're gonna put on some UFC. Uh, I, I will say this: the fact that there's still a WrestleMania set to go with all of the changes they've made, that is a sign. And look, I, I think in context, I get it. They're trying to, you know. As much as, you know, safety and all that, you're kind of trying to give people something, right? Because everything is shut down, you know. Um, if it wasn't already pre-recorded, TV shows have stopped production. They're being moved. They're being bounced back. Movies, they're not premiering anymore. Um, so I get it. I get the, you know, mentality to want to do something. I always say that all of these fighters, I just want them to be safe. My entertainment is not worth that you know what i mean so yeah that's always leave that's it at the that. bottom line yeah so. but hey next week who knows what it brings natalie <laughs> i hope you are well i hope you're staying safe you and your fam listeners i hope you guys are doing well if you'd like to talk to us about old fights if you want to talk to us about mma television we'll be back next week we'll do a flashback we'll talk some more mma programming probably an mma movie next time and go from there. Natalie, where can the fans find you on social media? I'm at uh, on Twitter at Natalie Zamudio underscore on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. And uh, I can't wait for next week. Let's do this. Give me some shows to watch, man. <laughs> I'll have that for you guys. And also, guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. You guys have a good one.